a mega revolution. Eric Metaxas talks fake news, and Britain invades with Peter Noon. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. Thank you very much. And I didn't want to just say thank you. Let me tell you something. This is the beginning of season number four for The Huckabee Show. Can you believe that? Yeah. Three years we've been doing this television show, and we are starting season number four. Couldn't be more excited and more happy. Thrilled that you have joined us. Now, let me begin tonight by asking something maybe a little unusual to start a television show. I'm asking you to pray for the president and the first lady. As you know, they've both been uh, tested positive for coronavirus. The president has gone for caution uh, to be monitored at Walter Reed. And uh, that's a smart move. He's getting all kinds of medication. And, you know, he did a video that was very encouraging to see him looking strong. But look, this is serious stuff. We all know that. We've been shut down for months over it. So let's remember to pray for our president. And even if you don't plan to vote for him or you don't like him, you can pray for him. In fact, you should, because the Bible tells us to pray for those in authority. I hope you will. Well, the first of three presidential debates is over. And to be honest, I kind of feel like the kid who just got beat up on the playground. And I wasn't even on the stage this time. But here are my humble, yet always accurate observations. Can the next debate just be a Zoom call? <laughs> it's less expensive, it's easier to mute, and both candidates can do it wearing a suit jacket, but shorts, and that would keep them cooler. <laughs> and here's another one. Instead of a press person being the moderator, let's just let Carol Baskin do it, okay? <laughs> I mean, she deals with lions and tigers all the time. Seems to me to be the right background for that job. Hey, we sure don't need to be hearing how presidential Joe Biden is. I mean, he called the sitting president a racist, a liar, a clown, and repeatedly told him to shut up. Now, that was genteel. Now, to be fair, President Trump interrupted Joe Biden and talked over him. But that was just because the president thought he was on The View. <laughs> hey, look, Joe Biden stayed awake for the entire thing, which was about all some people thought he had to do to exceed the expectations. And he went through the whole debate and he didn't call a single person a lion, dog-faced pony soldier like he called a voter at one of his rallies. And he also, he didn't challenge President Trump to go out behind the gym for a fist fight. And he's done that to folks who challenged him at a town hall. Now, I did think that the president truly missed an opportunity to just let Biden talk. Because Biden would have hurt himself more than it was possible for the president to hurt him. And in fact, President Trump actually rescued Joe Biden from saying that he really did support the Green New Deal, which would pretty much destroy America's economy. Or that he would stack the courts with more liberal judges. Or adding more states like Puerto Rico and D.C. so the Democrats would get a majority in the Senate. 
and making us wear masks for the rest of our lives, even if we do get a COVID vaccine. Because every time the president butted in on Joe, it just kept Joe from blurting out the kind of things he's been saying in interviews, like that the virus has already killed 200 million of the 300 million Americans, <laughs> or that he'd been in the Senate 180 years. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's been that long, I know. And frankly, I might be okay with wearing a mask permanently. Heck, since this mask thing has been going on, I found one of the benefits is that I haven't brushed my teeth since March. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, that sure does enforce social distancing, let me tell you. By the way, I do think President Trump did miss a big chance to use his great sense of humor a little more. Let me tell you, you may not realize this, he really is a funny, funny man. And normally being around him is a real hoot. I'm not kidding. And, and humor is like Novocaine on a needle. It just makes the shot less painful and easier to take. It was the kind of debate that you hoped your kids didn't watch because you always tell them, don't call people names, always let others finish their sentences, and never speak disparagingly of old people. But those who want to change the rules, I think they miss the point. It is not that the rules need changing. It's the political theater that has replaced thoughtful and respectful discussion and disagreement in the election process. But please do something. Remember, we are not electing a debater, but a decider. Someone who will decide whether to kill unborn babies or to save them. Whether to raise your taxes or lower them whether to ship your job to China or fight to keep it in America, whether to defend riots and defund the police or stop riots and stand for the safety of our citizens, whether to appoint judges who respect the Constitution or those who legislate in a black robe. So the debates are interesting and they're revealing, but it's ultimately not about a person's style in debates. It's about a person's decisions. And then on election day, you don't debate your friends and neighbors. You decide who you believe will deliver the best policies for you, your children, and your grandchildren. And that's why you need to vote, not for the best debater, but for the best decisions. That's why. My first guest tonight is serving just his second term as a member of Congress, but boy, he's already making a big name for himself as a firebrand of conservatism, a key ally of President Trump. He is also my congressman from the first district of Florida, and I had a chance to sit down with him a little earlier today about his book called Firebrand, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. Here's my conversation with Congressman Matt Gates. Congressman, the big news of the week turned out not to be the debate after all. It's the fact that the president, the first lady, have tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, what does that do, not just for the campaign, but how does that affect people in the country, uh, their sense of uh, well-being, uh, even, even the economy? President Trump has been one of the most vigorous, energetic occupiers of the Oval Office in America's history. And I suspect that even though he'll be 
quarantined and isolating, uh, he'll be doing everything he can to inject that vigor and that enthusiasm into the policymaking choices that the government will be making and the campaign as well. It's just kind of like when the when the quarterback of the team has to be out for a couple plays, everybody else on the team has to step up until they're right back in calling the plays and, uh, and, and delivering the victories. And I know that'll be the case for President Trump. Let's talk about the debate. Uh, very contentious. Uh, you know, there were moments I felt like if President Trump had just let Joe Biden talk, it would have been better because Joe was uh, doing more damage to himself. But I was shocked by the fact that the president was actually debating both Joe Biden and Chris Wallace throughout the night. Uh, give me your reactions to the debate, how you saw it, how you scored it, and what impact do you think it has uh, on the voters? If you're just a regular American, I think you can only watch that debate and think if your job if your prosperity, if your career were on the line and dependent on some high intense negotiation between world leaders, there was only one person on that stage that you would want having your back, and it is President Donald Trump. If I had any advice for the president, it might be to go watch some of your old debate tapes, Governor Huckabee, because you always found a way to inject humor and sometimes self-deprecating humor, self-effacing humor, uh, but, but you did it in a way that unlocked people to be able to see vision. And I think that what mi missed from the last debate from both candidates was maybe a little bit of lightheartedness, but also you know, sharing more with us about where they wanna take the country, not just two uh, folks uh, you know, complaining and uh, bickering at each other about the worst elements of the status quo, but talking about the greatness of America. The president did that somewhat when he talked about the onboarding of 10.4 million jobs in such a short period of time, something that's never been done in our country's history before. I think we need more of that and maybe a few great Huckabee jokes. Uh, you know, I, I agree, and I do think the humor was missing. The president's one of the funniest people I've ever been around. As you know, you've been around him a lot as well. Uh, let me bring up this book. It's called Firebrand. You've written a brand new book, and it's about your experiences behind the scenes. Uh, you know, Firebrand is a great name for it because that's exactly what you have been. You have been the uh, target of a lot of attacks from the left, um, the press, which I guess I should say the same thing. Uh, they are one and the same. Let's talk about the message of the book. You really do try to, to focus on just what you stand for and why that's attracted such uh, I, I guess, a fiery reaction. Well, I look forward to the political realignment that President Trump is leading in our country right now, where Republicans aren't just there to be the valets of big businesses. We actually want to put America and the American people first. Now, there are some in D.C. who hope that President Trump is just an aberration, a one-off, but I think he's the front end of the wave. And there is a way to excite a uh, right leaning populism in the country with bold ideas that we won't be able to ever achieve with a reversion back to the Romneys or the Kasichs or sort of the Paul Ryan view of the world. There is a lot in the book, a lot of discussion about how when you put yourself on the front lines of this revolution, you do catch some incoming, but it is so worth it to see our country able to just thrive and to see the American people with a sense of hope and optimism that I think is unique to the Trump presidency, but also something that uh, we will be able to push forward if we continue to move these policies forward that lift up all Americans. Well, the articulation of uh, who we are as a country and who we are as a conservative movement is very clearly uh, depicted in your book, and I think people will totally love it. I, I want to move to James Comey's testimony before the Senate this week. It was nothing short of remarkable that he sat there 
couldn't remember a thing, and you're thinking if he ran the FBI, if he could write books, if he could go on MSNBC every day, but he goes before the Senate, and he can't remember whether or not he knew what the FBI was doing in illegally getting a search warrant against Carter Page, who was on our show last week, and others, and targeting President Trump, will there ever be justice brought in this hideous situation? You know, we all know that this was a hoax perpetrated by the Obama-Biden-Clinton regime, that they cooked it up even before the election, And the importance of Comey is that he was really the inside man. He was the person transitioning from the Obama government to the Trump government to try to really effectuate the hoax. And what we all know now is that it was fake. President Trump was never an agent of the Russian government. Russia's never been less relevant, I think, in uh, in my lifetime for sure. I mean, they they right now have a commoditized economy and they're in a bit of a demographic tailspin. But when you look at uh, the president's approach to the impeachment, his will, his drive to succeed. I think that it can inspire many to keep fighting, but it also exposes those in the media, on the left, and even some Republicans who are willing to indulge the Mueller investigation, uh, and I think indulge James Comey. And we're seeing now that that was all just an endeavor to create punishment in the process. The process was the punishment. They were trying to delegitimize the president, not work with him, or even have a healthy, honest debate with him. We've only got about uh, 15 seconds left, so I'm going to just ask a very quick one. Will you be in the majority party under Speaker Kevin McCarthy next January, or do we have two more years of uh, Nancy Pelosi's dictatorship? Uh, I hope that we uh, have seen the last of Nancy Pelosi behind the Speaker's rostrum. Uh, I think that, you know, we need a unified Republican majority to fully vindicate the Trump presidency. Uh, It's going to mean big voter turnout. We're going to have to really turn out the vote in a lot of these areas. So even if you think you might not be in a swing state, you might live in a swing congressional district. So make sure to get out and vote. Matt Gates, great to see you. One vote you can absolutely be assured of is mine. You're my congressman, and I'm very proud of that fact and uh, delighted to have you back on the show. Look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Governor. Special thanks to Matt Gates. By the way, you can pick up his brand new book, Firebrand, Dispatches from the Front Lines of the MAGA Revolution. You can get those anywhere books are sold. You can also follow him on social media at Representative Matt Gates. Be sure to check out his podcast called Hot Takes. And for more of my take on all the news of the week, visit Huckabee.tv for facts of the matter. We're going to be talking about Chris Wallace's debate performance, and I give a little shout-out to none other than Whoopi Goldberg. Now, to find out why, you got to watch Facts of the Matter after the show on Huckabee.tv. Right now, here's Keith Bilbrey. Well, thank you. Coming up, news commentator Cal Thomas, best-selling author Eric Metaxas, later legendary impersonator Rich Little, and 60s British pop star Peter Noon performs on Huckabee. Next week, Charles Marahi of the Biblical Roots of Capitalism and comedian juggler Ron Pearson. And welcome back. How about a big hand for Trey Corley and the Music City Connection? Let's hear it for him. By the way, did you get a load of the jacket that Trey is wearing tonight? I told him that I just hope the restaurant 
from whose table they took that, uh, that they'll be okay with the fact that he borrowed it and made a jacket out of it. It looks, looks delightful, Trey. I'm glad you're wearing it. Keith Thank and you. I would never wear that, but you look great in it, right, oh, Keith? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mother-in-law bought this for me. Oh, Thanks. boy. All right, Cal Thomas has been one of the most popular syndicated columnists in America for more than 35 years. He is a true veteran of the news business back when it really was news. And he says that truth isn't subjective. And boy, do we need more of that these days. I want you to welcome to the show a wonderful personal friend and a great favorite of our shows, Mr. Cal Thomas. Cal, we've talked about this before. Journalism is virtually dead. Mm. What happened? Well, a number of things. And I was privileged to work with some of the best when I was a copy boy starting out in the business at NBC News in Washington with David Brinkley and Chet Hutley and oh. Frank McGee and... All of these guys are on my wall. I had them sign their pictures, and they're on my wall in the office. And they came out of print and uh, wire service journalism or real writers and put their craft before their policies. I didn't know what their politics were. They never talked about them. But I think the, uh, the twin uh, storms of Watergate and the Vietnam War, hmm. where I remember the then Pentagon spokesman saying that your government has a right to lie to you, and many of the figures on the body counts coming out of Vietnam were wrong, and then uh, some of uh, Richard Nixon's shenanigans and the tapes, of course. Remember, Billy Graham said he was shocked at some of the language mm. that Nixon used. All of these things, I uh, think, uh, coarsened the attitude of many journalists, along with their uh, political views that uh, trended more and more to the left, especially coming out of these journalism schools. You covered a vast time of journalism, and you were mentioning some of the people when you were at NBC. Yeah. And you later worked at Fox News. You've mm -hmm. seen the evolution of the news business. But um, it still troubles me that there, there are very few true journalists. When I read what someone writes or when they talk on television, I know exactly what their politics are. There's only a handful. There are a few. There's two or three on Fox. I don't know what their politics are. Most I know. Well, you know, the real power of journalism, as a friend of mine says, is the power to ignore and there are a lot of stories that are never told on television, mm. or there are things left out, or the things that are edited in a certain way to uh, comport with the political worldview of the reporter. And this is why I'm grateful for organizations like uh, the Media Research Center mm -hmm. that point They're out great. these kinds of things. And, but, you know, we have an individual responsibility as American citizens to seek out the truth for ourselves. And this is part of the blessing we have living in a constitutional republic. A lot of people just uh, don't tune in to the electoral process until it's too late, or they get their ideas only from the internet or sound bites on television or political commercials. This is not the natural state of humanity. Freedom, liberty has mm. to be fought for by every generation. Uh, Ronald Reagan used to say we're only one generation away from losing it all, mm. and it was right. He was right then. When I watched the news cover President Trump and then Joe Biden, I get a very different picture of how they treat each of these guys. Look, I, I rec recognize Trump can be rough to the press and he goes after them. But I watched them this week attack him for not saying that white supremacy was wrong. Mm -hmm. Cal, he has done it over yeah. and over. There's a tape that is on the web that just shows how many times he said it. And he gets get pushed over and over. Yeah. How does how do journalists get away with the level of bias that we see? And that's a specific yeah. example I'm speaking well, of. Well, it's more than bias. It's propaganda now. We move from bias to propaganda. They're mm. really uh, 
tools of the uh, Democratic National Committee. Uh, that's why they call MSNBC MSDNC very often. Uh, I, I think it's, it's really shameful. They, they have no accountability to anybody except their readers and viewers. And uh, those numbers are declining and have been in decline for some time. The trust in the media now is roughly around the level of Congress, which is really saying <laughs> that's something. That's pretty bad. That's pretty yeah. bad, yeah. That, that's, that's devilish. Uh, if you had been moderating the debate this week, tell me what you would have done differently than we saw Chris Wallace. Well, do. I think uh, since uh, Joe Biden had been in the basement for so long and not uh, available to reporters, uh, I would have, and I wrote a column on this on questions I would have had for Joe Biden, one of the things was, look, you, you were against federal funding for abortion for many years. Now you flipped. Uh, you were against a lot of other things you are now for. So tell me what your core principles are and why you would never, ever violate them and why we should believe you. I think that would be a natural question. I think that would have been a pretty good question. When, when you think about the debates, the debate commission now says they may change the rules because of what happened the other night. Mm. Is this a time to be changing the rules in the middle of the game? <laughs> no, but I, you know, I, I, I saw the background of the members of the debate commission, and every single one of them is either an anti-Trumper, like Frank Ferencoff, yeah. former chairman of the Republican National Committee, or a Democrat and contributor to Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton's campaign. Now, that's hmm. not the uh, fairness and balance that we were told that the Presidential Commission has. Frankly, I think these things are outdated. They're, they're, you know, they go back to John Kennedy and Richard Nixon mm -hmm. in 1960. I think it would be much better to give each candidate 30 minutes uninterrupted, let them make their case, and then if a moderator wants to ask some follow-up questions, or if the candidate wants to ask the other candidate, the opponent, a follow-up question, that would be fine. I think we need to reform the way we elect presidents. This spending billions of dollars running around the country, all these television ads, we don't need it. Just tell me what you believe and why you believe it, and let me make up my mind who to vote for. I, I can't agree with you more, and obviously the audience uh, concurs. We've only got about 30 seconds left, so I'm going to throw this one at you with a quick response if I can. Yeah. Um, do you see anything changing in the future of journalism? Will we get back to the days when the Cal Thomases <laughs> of the world, and, and I'm not being facetious and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, just butter you up, but the truth is you understood what real journalism was and you and other people of, of that time practiced it. Will we ever see it again? Uh, probably not, unless you clone me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we can do. All I right. like that Thank idea. Thank you very much. Yeah. But uh, you, you're not seeing this. I don't, this Mike. I think the uh, whole social media era, I think the 24-hour, 24-7 news cycle, I think the cynicism that has invaded mm. this, what used to be called a profession, yeah. uh, is all gone. And no, they're not teaching it in journalism schools. It's all advocacy now. And it's really terrible. But that leaves it up to us to find out the truth of what, on our own. We used to be uh, able to rely on certain reporters, but we can't anymore. We have to rely on ourselves. I'll still rely on you, Thank Carl you. Thomas. And you. You are one of the good guys. Thank you. Wish there were more of you. Thank you, Cal Thomas. Stay with us. And by the way, here is Keith Bilber. He'll tell you why you should. Well, to read all of Cal's columns in one place, all you have to do is visit calthomas.com. You can also buy his book, America's Expiration Date, wherever books are sold. Next, best-selling author Eric Metaxas, later legendary impersonator Rich Little, and 60s British pop star Peter Noon performs on Huckabee.
GovMikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter. And follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Welcome back, everybody. Recently, I was joined by Eric Metaxas, who is a New York Times bestselling author. He's host of the Eric Metaxas radio show on TBN. Yes, it is a TV show called a radio show. Don't ask me why. In addition, he also does his radio program on the Salem Radio Network. His latest books are Seven More Men and the third in his colorful and very funny Donald series. This one's called Donald and the Fake News. Here's my conversation with Eric Metaxas. Eric, it's great to have you back on the show. Thank you for joining us for book number three in the Donald series. Did you think when you started this whole thing that there would be a series of Donald books going on? I, I actually didn't. Uh, people love it because, look, th these are humor books. They look like children's books, and they can function as children's books because they very simply lay out what is happening. What, what is the fake news? What is the resistance? Uh, you know, who is this caveman named Donald and how come he's doing all these good things that that never got done before? So it's a chance for those of us uh, who appreciate this president to celebrate uh, what he's doing with humor. And I think our side needs more humor. Uh, it's one of the reasons I love you. You joke. I think we need to joke and celebrate. A lot of times the left does that. But when they do it, they can do it in a very nasty way when it comes to politics. And this book, uh, People use it as a kid's book because there's nothing nasty in it. It just is a, a fun way to celebrate uh, who this president is and what it is that he's doing to remind us of the things that have made us great and will keep us, by God's grace, will keep us great. You know, uh, when the other two books came out, what, the first one, Draining the Swamp, the second one, Building the Wall, this one on fake news, you and I have talked about this before, that it, it kind of reminds me, at least, and I think you too, of the old Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon series that I watched as a kid and thought it was just yeah. an innocent kid's cartoon. When I became an adult, I realized there's a great message in here. It's really put in a, a children's box, but the message is very relevant, very timely, and filled yeah. with some really funny satire. Well, that, that's the whole point is that adults will get the humor. I mean, there's a, there's a sorceress uh, in here. At, in one version of, this, of the book, uh, we had her going into a hair salon illegally, but we had to cut that out because of page length. But uh, <laughs> she's, called Ma ah, she's called Madam Miss Speaker. And she decides <laughs> that the only way that they can win uh, is to go negative. Being relentlessly negative is our only hope, she says. So they take everything that Donald says, and they twist it. If he says the sky is blue, they say, well, how can he say that? He's so superficial. What about people who are living in a place where it's cloudy? Doesn't he care about those people? He's so mean. Well, no matter what he says, they twist it and twist it. And people begin to wonder, is this true? And so they go to Donald and they ask him, and he has to explain to them what is going on. He says, this is something called fake news. Uh, this is as a result of envy. He says when people have nothing else to say, they have no argument, they've got to make stuff up. He says, you know, before uh, I became president, I was a, a very successful builder of caves. And some people resented my success. And, and they were very mean and they were very envious. And whenever you're succeeding, you're going to have people like that. And that's what's going on. And then 
there's a whole thing about um, a Russian salad dressing hoax. Somebody sees him in a deli ordering a Reuben sandwich with Russian dressing on it, and they say, we've got him. Uh, he's doing everything to help the Russian salad dressing company. So they launched this huge Russian salad dressing hoax, and there's a big investigation, and they find no evidence. But Madam Miss Speaker says, well, it doesn't matter because it's on your permanent record, always. And so it's kind of a, a retelling of what's been happening in this country. Uh, and even Trump, um, uh, I should say Donald, Donald the caveman, he insists on an election. He says, every four years, we need to have an election. And the people say, no, 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 we just want to keep you. He goes, no, we have to have a fair election. So they have a fair election, but they decide to do the thing that proponents of fake news and lies cannot bear. And that is simply to bomb them with the truth, to tell so much truth that they can't take it. And he has a clever way of doing it. He has these little blue birds that they kind of Twitter. I, I don't know if that means anything to you, but he uses them uh, to just launch truth over the heads of the mainstream fake media. And they just overwhelm the resistance. And the resistance, um, you know, led by Madam Miss Speaker, they kind of crack up. Madam Miss Speaker, uh, you know, she's waving around the Constitution. At the end of this whole thing, she tears the Constitution into little pieces. Now, who can imagine a Speaker of the House tearing an important document into little pieces? That would never happen in reality. Of course, we know. But uh, she tears Constitution into pieces and dances off a cliff, followed by the resistance, some of whom we will recognize as looking somewhat like uh, uh, Adam Schiff and somewhat uh, like some of the other players. But that's purely coincidence, I assure you. Well, we know it's going to be a uh, big seller. I think it probably may be the best of the series so far and so timely, so important. I hope people get it before the election. Eric Metaxas's new book, Donald and the Fake News, is available right now. And you can get it wherever books are sold. So why don't you pick up a copy for you and maybe get one for your most liberal friend or neighbor. <laughs> and then be sure to watch the Eric Metaxas radio show right here on TBN. You can also listen to him on the Salem Radio Network. Follow Eric and his cultural commentary online at Eric Metaxas. Keith Bilbrey, why don't you tell us what is coming up next, because it's big. You better believe it. Next, hilarious celebrity impersonator Rich Little, then legendary singer Peter Noon performs with Mike on Huckabee. Well, it's been a few short weeks since multiple devastating hurricanes hit the Gulf Coast. In addition to that, wildfires continue to rage out west, igniting fear in the hearts of those that it threatens, also leaving ashes for those that it impacts. Right now, Samaritan's Purse is on the ground serving every area hit by these terrible disasters. With so many projects, it's time for all hands on deck. And you can help by calling Samaritan's Purse right now. You can also visit their website. I hope you'll consider giving towards an organization that brings tangible aid with the love of Christ to the hardest of places. That's where hope can seem in short supply. Thank you for spreading hope in Jesus' name through Samaritan's Purse. Well, I gotta tell you, I love having my next guest on because it's like having every celebrity who has ever lived all in one. 
He has entertained millions of people for decades on TV, in concert, and currently in Las Vegas. We love him, and to prove it, this is his third time to be with us on The Huckabee Show. Can't think of anybody we'd rather have. Welcome the undisputed king of impressionists, Rich Little. Thank you. Welcome back, Rich. Of all the introductions I've ever had, that was the most recent. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to be back, it really is. One of my favorite impressions that you do is Ronald Reagan, one of my favorite presidents. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Reagan, I really did. You know, was he a religious guy? You knew him very yes. well. You performed at the White House yes. so many times. I, I was very, very religious. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, I prayed every night to Howard. I don't, don't, I don't... Don't you know the scriptures? I thought I did. Our Father, which art in heaven, Howard be thy name. <laughs> but you know, I must say that um, Rich Little does the best impression of me than anybody. As a matter of fact, he is so good, I put in my will, when I die, they should bury him. <laughs> But, uh, we, we, we couldn't find the will. <laughs> <laughs> Rich, you know, the president did love you. I mean, he had you at the White House time and again, and he always said that you were a better Reagan than he was. Yeah. He loved having... He had a great sense of humor. Oh, he had a marvelous sense of humor. And he did impressions for me, too, you know. Did he really? Yes, he did. He did a Jimmy Stewart that was fair. He did John... <laughs> he did Truman Capote once Get for Get out of here. Can he you did, do Ronald Reagan doing Truman Capote? Or just do Truman Capote? Well, I'd like to do my Truman Capote. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot of people think that I wrote in cold blood, but that's not true. Actually, I wrote in ink. <laughs> I gave that to Reagan, and you know what? He loved that, and he said, can, can I use that? I said, of course. And he got a Secret Service man and wrote that joke out on his back. He did not. Yeah, and then you know what he said to me? I can't wait to try that out on Gorbachev. <laughs> Could you imagine him doing Truman Capote for Gorbachev? You know, somehow I think I can. I mean, that's just, but he was such a, <laughs> he loved life. Yeah, he did. He truly did. Uh, I have read that you, found that some of the impressions you do are easy, some are hard. That Dr. Phil was one that was fairly easy. You'd learned it in Do minutes. Dr. Phil, I know, I know that you know that I know. <laughs> and if you knew that, that, then we both would know if we knew it all when, when we knew. <laughs> He's great. He's great. Others? I got another new oh, one for okay. you. Okay, let's hear it. William Defoe. Oh, okay. You know who he is? Yeah, the actor that's played in a bunch of movies. Mississippi Burning was one of them, in fact, yeah. I buy my gold from Roslyn County. <laughs> I buy from Roslyn Capital every chance I get. I buy from Roslyn because I trust them. <laughs> Roslyn will beat any coin 
at any price, at any time. <laughs> and if you don't want to buy from Roslyn Capital, go to your nearest bank. You'll already be wearing a mask, so you can take out about twenty or thirty thousand dollars. Roslyn, Roslyn Capital. <laughs> Rich, you know that was William Devane, not Defoe, right? That's right, William That's Devane. Right. Close I get enough. The two of them mixed up. Hey, close enough for government work for sure. Okay, do you right. do the pillow guy? We see him all the time. Oh, he's yeah. Been, he's been a yeah. guest on our show. We love him. He's a great guy. Mike Lindell. Can you do him? Yeah, I think I. Well, gosh, we see him about every twenty minutes. At huh? least, yes. Oh. <laughs> 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 but. Uh, <laughs> This is Mike Lundell of My Pillow. <laughs> it's the most comfortable pillow in the world. <laughs> you can spit on it, you can jump on it, <laughs> you can tinkle on it. <laughs> my pillow. <laughs> you know, when I get my pillow, I'm asleep almost immediately. <laughs> because they put whalebone in that thing. I tell you, I'm unconscious. <laughs> anyway. Do you have a Biden impression? Is that a hard one to do, Joe Biden? Well, Joe Biden, I'm, I'm working on him. It's tough to do, but, you know, it, it's tougher for him, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let me, let me, I think I've, all right, I'm going to do a little Joe Biden here, okay? I don't know whether this is going to work or not, but anyway, I'll give it a shot. All right, Joe Biden. <laughs> Are we on? A <laughs> little, little higher. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are concerned about my mental ability. <laughs> Let me tell you something, man. <laughs> my short-time memory is perfect. <laughs> my short-time memory is absolutely flawless. <laughs> and another thing, man... My short-time memory is good, too. <laughs> I'm the guy. Now back to the bunker. Four. Uh, <laughs> Rich, we love having you here. Promise you'll make at least another visit. We got to get at least a four to five and a six. Anytime you want yeah, to do this we, show. There, I had about uh, 40 more impressions that I didn't do. <laughs> That's all the more reason we'll get you back. Rich well, Little. Listen, would, before oh, going, yes, though, okay. before going, yep. you know, I, I do sketches. You yes, know, you do. Of Beautiful artists. Ones. And uh, I have a lot of favorites, but my favorite one I did the other day, my favorite politician I did the other day, I want to give it to okay. you. Okay. Wow. That is pretty... Look at that. See the resemblance? Thank you. That's beautiful. That looks better than me. I'm going to let this guy host the show. Rich Little, thank you very much. Thank Would you, you give a big hand to Rich Little, everybody? Thank you.
And right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you where you can see the amazing Rich Little in person. Keith? I'm waiting for his Mike Huckabee impersonation. Enrich your life with autographed copies of Rich's books, his DVDs, CDs, portraits of fellow celebrities, and more at therichlittle.com. And follow The Rich Little on social media. Coming up, Herman's Hermits and 1960s British pop star Peter Noon. Later, Peter sings his hit, There's a Kind of Hush, on Huckabee. Welcome back to the show. By the way, if you have never ordered tickets and made a visit to our theater, you should do it. These folks are having the time of their lives tonight with people like Rich Little, all the great guests we've had, and you can enjoy it. Be sure to go to Huckabee.tv and look for how to get tickets. They are free, but you do have to ask for them. We have some limited seating because of COVID, all the more reason to get your tickets right now. Hey, Peter Noon was the front man and the lead singer of one of the biggest bands of the 1960s, Herman's Hermits. They had a long string of great number one hits. He is also a successful solo artist. He's an actor, a songwriter, and he's a producer. And he's still packing them in all over the world, playing those great British invasion hits. I want you to give a huge welcome to a true gentleman and a great talent, Mr. Peter Noon. recognize that song, I bet, don't you? Oh, yeah. I was singing along in the dressing room to all the songs that played. <laughs> Cold as ice. I was singing every song. I can't tell you how totally thrilled I am to have you here. You know, Me you too. are one of those guys, you've, you've been doing this for a long time, but you still have fun doing it. You know, it all started out as fun, and, and I think the fun element is not so fun right now. But when I was a kid, um, I lived with my grandparents, and my grandfather was the church organ player, <laughs> and he played the feet as well, which was like, really, you know, whoa, he can play with his feet as well. And my grandmother was the, the choir mistress, and when anybody had a funeral, a christening, a baptism, we would all go in the parlor, and we would sing. There was no, television hadn't been created mm. yet in England. So, so we would go in there, and we learned to sing and have fun, and when, most, when somebody was not well, we still sang up songs, hmm. you know, the, the, and the Irish songs that they sang were kind of sad Irish songs, but we still smile, you know, there was a lot of joy and fun and, and music was 100% for fun. Hmm. Nobody ever thought that, that you would make any money. And my, my grandfather thought I would be good as a musician. And he sent me to the Manchester School of Music and I would sit there in this, and I was a kid. <laughs> I was there too early to go to the college and and I would sit there, and every single person was a brilliant, serious musician. You know, they were all Vivaldi-esque and, and scary. And, and I, none of them ever made a nickel in the music business. <laughs> Peter, you sold 60 million records. And 60. 20 billion streams. <laughs> That's, I mean, that is so amazing. 
60 million records and, as you say, billions of streams. And the thing that I find amazing, your songs always, and I loved your music from the time I first heard it, knew all those songs. They were happy songs. They were fun songs. And, and simple. And very simple. But, but they were always happy. And, and I was just explaining to somebody, we made records to go on right after the BBC News. Mm. You know, so if he woke up this morning yeah. feeling fine or there's a kind of hush all over the world or... Mrs. Not, Brown, not, you've got a lovely daughter. Not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, see, I was sure trying to make conversation there, but that's okay. I'm, I'm Henry VIII, I am. Dandy, that, that was a good one, right? Dandy was a fun song. Yeah, that okay. was about me. A Wonderful World, that works. Oh, what a wonderful song. That. Yeah. Jimmy Page on guitar. He actually was on the record yeah, for that. Yeah, you, you know, people don't realize that England is a very small, con very small country. Yeah. And all the music... All the musicians and up-and-coming musicians and all the girls who wanted to be in, uh, around musicians, we all kind of knew each other. It was a very small scene, probably like Nashville, when everybody sees what everybody's yeah. doing. And, and people would show up at the studio, and, and Mickey Most, uh, who, Mickey Most, not Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I was going to say, Mickey Mouse? Really? Mickey right? Most Mickey was, Most, was okay. our producer. And he produced The Animals and Donovan uh, and Lulu and Hot Chocolate. And, he was a, and he'd say, well, and people would come in and say, you got any suggestions? You know, because people would come in, oh, I don't like the hi-hat on that. <laughs> Have you got any suggestions? And he said, yeah. So we'll go in there and play it. So Jimmy Page would come and he'd do it. We, we were doing this Sam Cooke song, a beautiful yeah. Sam Cooke called uh, Wonderful World. Don't oh, know yeah. much about history. Uh -huh. and, and because we were doing a tribute to Sam Cooke. And, and Jimmy Page was there and, and Eric Burden from The Animals were there. And he just all got made, you know, nobody ever said. And I remember that we... We paid Jimmy Page for, as a session man uh -huh. uh, 12 pounds, which is like $20. Wow. And, and, <laughs> what a bargain. And, yeah, but he, was, he wouldn't have done it for nothing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and when and I saw Andrew Oldham, who was the Stones manager, and he says, how much did you give him 12 pounds? I said, we gave him 12 pounds. He said, well, we only paid him 7 pounds 50. The Stones only paid him £7.50. I said, oh, yeah, we got done for the overdub. He played it twice. <laughs> he played it twice. You know, the guitar solo is a two, two guitar. Peter, you were out there doing this at age 15, right? I was doing it a lot before then, but I was a persistent little something or other. <laughs> well, I tell you, we all have a great sense of pleasure from just Thank having you. you here with us. Uh, we only have about 30 seconds, so i got to do this in a hurry. But... If people don't listen to your Sirius XM radio show every Saturday afternoon, I love it. The 60s channel, one of the best. And uh, one of these days, promise me you'll come back because I want the audience to hear a story you told me once. And I'm just going to tease it by the telling. Okay. Is it true that you were once babysat by Keith Richard of the Rolling Stones? Well, yeah, he threatened that he would, if I ever did drugs, he would come and beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to get to the full yeah. story of that. All the more reason to have you back, Peter. Definitely, I love. What to come a thrill back. to have you! And by the way, I got to tell you, I've never stopped listening to and loving Peter Noon's great music. If you want to see Herman's Hermit's tour schedule, you really should visit PeterNoon.com and follow at Peter Noon on Twitter and Instagram. Now stay right there because he's going to perform, as you would imagine, a Herman's Hermit's classic with Trey in the band, and of course. I'm sitting in with them. Don't you miss it. Well, next, Peter Noon sings his 1967 hit, There's a Kind of Hush on Huckabee.
And now here to perform with Trey Corley in the Music City Connection with Mike on bass is Peter Noon. There's a kind of hush all over the world tonight. The 